Welcome to episode 28 of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. Today I have another great guest on the show, um, another, another, a, a, another person from the other side of the Atlantic, um, uh, Dr. Michael Ormsby, Mike Ormsby. Hey Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Laura, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for reaching out. No, it's awesome. So we were just discussing um, off air, offline. However, it's not. It's not. It's not, it's not like I'm a prime time radio show. <laughs> Although I, I think my <laughs> wife, my wife's starting to wonder about about how I'm starting to think about this stuff. But uh, I'm going to get t-shirts and all kind of, and mugs. I've got to get a, a We Do Science mug. Um, anyway, um, I digress. Um, uh, yeah, we were just chatting off offline there and uh, I know uh, I did bump into you um, at the ISANC conference, the International Sports and Exercise Nutrition Conference that's that's going on right now as we speak and I know that you've got various things going on in your lab and I've got various things going on which means that we can't be there but I did subsequently meet you uh, properly for the first time um, out at the uh, ISSN uh, conference in June, and uh, the reason why Sorry, I Clearwater. Uh, yeah Clearwater, and what an awesome conference that was. I mean, I think if there's one reason, I mean, there's many reasons why I love the ISSN and, and do what I do for the ISSN, but it's got to be conferences right on the beach. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just awesome. Which you know, and I love the folks at ISENC, but up in Newcastle with um, doomy, gloomy, grey weather in a sort of built-up part of North and North of England. Compare that to Sunny Florida on, on goldy sand and beaches is kind of uh, kind of no no contest there. Um, That's so fair, isn't it? I know, I know. Um, so anyway, the reason why I wanted to get you on this podcast was for several reasons, and I, I and I know it's it's not your primary area of research, but you gave a lecture that I found fascinating at, at the ISSN conference, which was uh, titled Resistance Training and Nutrition Strategies to Maintain Muscle Mass and Perform Optimally in Endurance Sports, which is sort of loosely the topics that I want to get into on this podcast. But before we go into that, because I, um, I know you better than than a lot of our listeners who are all over the world, but can you just just quickly give us a, a quick sort of self introduction as as yourself and, and what your current research is in? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, at the time, uh, right now, I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Nutrition, Food, and Exercise Sciences at Florida State University, which is in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, that's my primary role, where I I teach and and also have. Uh, human performance and sports nutrition lab and recently took over as the interim director for the Institute of Sports Sciences and Medicine which is a really nice facility that we have here at Florida State and it merges nutrition exercise science from my uh, you know my niche and we also merged with uh, medicine as well as our their athletic department so it's really a neat mixture of athletes and uh, formal medicine as well as nutrition and uh, sports science. and I was just thrilled to be able to have the opportunity to uh, take over as director of the institute and really move things forward to grow those collaborations and get to do the research that uh, I find fascinating and luckily a lot of other people do too. Yeah, no, it, that's awesome. And uh, I love doing this, this podcast because I get to talk to people 
like you and and our listeners get to listen to people like yourself and 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 you're another uh, well there's a commonality i guess amongst some of the guests that come on this this podcast which are they're not just experts and people who who actually publish the research that that we're you know reading as practitioners or or discussing in our our lectures or teaching in our in our classes but you also um practice a lot of what you preach and i and i know that may sound kind of funny uh, to some people, but it's amazing how many people are involved in sports science who aren't really into sport. <laughs> so, um, so it's kind of it's, it's kind of nice to see that. And and um, I know that you've got various things that you're currently studying, like you just mentioned some overfeeding studies, and I'd love to get into that with you if we got time. But let's let's just crack into this particular topic because. And, and uh, this is sort of an ISSN link to this because previous to the Clearwater conference in June, um, a number of months before that, I was out in Florida again with, with my team at Guru Performance actually um, at another ISSN um, event, one of the smaller events. And uh, Michelle Adams was giving a lecture uh, and I can't for the life of me remember the title of it. I should have looked it up. So, Michelle, if you're listening, I apologise for not knowing the title. But <laughs> she, she gave a great lecture, which was basically a case study of herself, um, where she was performing, um, or competing rather, um, both as a physique competitor, um, which was sort of this sort of, you know, bikini model, bo- uh, female bodybuilder type thing, which in one's mind brings about strength, power, um, you know, sort of one angle of, 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 of approach to nutrition and training. But, and this is what blew me away, she was also competing in ultra-endurance um, sports, uh, which was, I, I again, I can't remember specifically what it was. <laughs> I should have done my prep on this. I um, think it was 50-mile run. Yeah, I mean, 50, I, I was that was it. Fifty milers, and not just one, but she did several, two or three of them yeah, over a period of time. I thought that was a really interesting talk as well. And my, you know, she, you're right. Case study. She laid out how she was able to yeah. feed herself to do this. Yeah, and Dex, you know, she, she did. She was doing Dexes, you know, um, uh, dual X-ray axiometry uh, for body composition. She got blood work. She got all kinds of stuff, and I'm fascinated about that stuff because I love case studies. In fact, I've just published a case study my, t- my group has literally just published a case study um, and we're about to publish another one on physique preparation in, in the J- in JISSN so this is kind of so selfish reasons also I'm really into this stuff but that blew me away and it got me thinking about a few things and then and then damn it if you didn't also do a lecture which was what I just mentioned about resistance training and nutrition strategies to maintain muscle mass and perform optimally endurance sports now I, it's it's quite a contentious issue, and I've got a few experts coming on later on um, in in uh, well maybe not this year, early next year, to talk about things like concurrent training and that sort of thing. But this idea that that you can actually work on increasing muscle mass for whatever reason, whether it's it's to look great in your swim shorts or bikini, or you know whether or not you do want to be a, a, a total nutcase like Michelle and actually be both a a physique sort of bodybuilding type athlete as well as an endurance athlete not just an endurance athlete an ultra endurance athlete and that just blows me away that that that's even possible because 
people do tend to approach this stuff very black and white, don't they? You're either endurance or your strength or, or you know, muscle or, or whatever. I mean, do you want to yeah. do you want to just quickly introduce us to this whole topic? Sure. You know, I I remember being at that talk and Michelle did a fantastic job, and I actually spoke to her for a little bit over those last couple of years about how she was into doing both of those sports. You know, and for me, getting into this topic um, was also from selfish reasons. You know, I actually, um, at Florida State, I teach the both the graduate and the undergraduate sports nutrition and sports performance classes, and I wanted to do what you were talking about, practice what I preach. I talk a lot about what to eat and fueling strategies, and I had never, I was into triathlon, but I was also lifting weights, and I uh, never competed on that front, but I was an ice hockey player through college. And what I always found was that, um, like you said, if you don't actually go ahead and show people that you can do and practice what you say, your credibility sort of gets shot. Mm. And and I decided to, to join um, the ranks of the half Ironman crowd. And that was, a, at that time, seemed insane to me to, to do that, which is not at the not especially long compared to what a lot of other people do, but for me it was. And do you want to just? Do, I mean, ironically, my last podcast actually was with a uh, um, uh, uh, Dr. Tamsin Lewis, actually, who is a. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, she she had won in her age group the uh, world championship uh, gold medal a couple of years back now, but not everyone knows what Ironman or half Ironman is. So, what distance is a half Ironman? Well, so triathlon's an interesting beast in that a lot of people say, "Oh, you did a you did an Ironman this weekend," but they they confuse that for the different race distances. So you can do sprint distances that are very short. The Ironman is extremely long. Mm-hmm. The half Ironman is a, a total of seventy point three miles. And you know, uh, your your audience might think about this differently, but over here we tend to think in, in miles instead of kilometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you end up uh, swimming. Um, about 1.2 miles instead of the full 2.4 so everything's half the distance then you ride your bike 56 miles and then you run a half marathon at the end of that yeah and that's just a half Ironman <laughs> I mean that's, yeah, that's a bloody long way it doesn't matter how you cook it it's a long way um, so sorry we've, <laughs> so we've, we've put that into context so, uh, so yeah so that's what I was thinking uh, putting on the calendar to sort of uh, one motivate myself and two See if the textbook recommendations for how to eat for something like that would work. The trouble I had was that uh, for a number of reasons, I was very interested in maintaining the muscle mass that I had. I'm, I typically hold about, a, uh, I don't know, 89, 90 kilos on, uh, personally, you know, about 195 to 200 pounds um, in my normal life. And I wanted to race at about 80 kilos or something around there. Um, so quite a big difference. I ended up over the course of training for this thing losing a bunch of weight. And I knew I had to because obviously weight makes a difference in endurance sports. But I wanted to take advantage of everything that I knew and that I could find and have access to um, in the research to try to maintain my muscle mass as best as I could. Uh, I knew I would lose some and, and that was a worry you know for a number of reasons I, I'm not gonna win these things so aesthetically I I wanted to maintain muscle mass as best that I could and now that I talk to all kinds of different triathlon groups around the uh, around Florida and around the country it's it's 
it's pretty universal. Most people are not elite. They just want to do triathlon or endurance sports to start to look a little better, feel a little better, maybe lose some weight. Um, but I was interested in maintaining the muscle mass over that period of time. I actually looked back at Michelle's slides because I knew she was doing some things. Uh, yeah, sorry, you still there? It's fun to be competitive, particularly if you're an athlete growing up and then you get out of university life and, and you just lose it. And it's nice to compete in something. That's what triathlon has offered me and many, many other people. But I've seen triathlon totally obliterate somebody's physique. And I've seen it time and time again. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, I'm training more than ever. Why am I so soft? I don't have the body composition I want. Um, you know, I train more and more and more, but my body composition is getting worse and worse. I'm getting soft and flabby. Uh, and I, I, I was really just seeking to figure out if there was a way to both train endurance-wise and, and adding resistance training to that uh, repertoire, as well as some eating strategies to compete the best that I could, but not totally lose the muscle mass, the physique, and, and um, ultimately so my wife would still be happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's going to take more than that, Mike. I've uh, I've discovered. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, just so we can set the stage here. So, I mean, it's pretty. You know, it, I think anyone who delves into triathlon or ultra endurance athletes, if if there's one thing they know, it, you're not talking three-ish workouts a week, three or four workouts a week. You know, forty minutes down the gym, do a bit of lifting, bit of grunting, whatever, and that's it. And you can still have a decent physique. You know, obviously you've got to get your nutrition right and so on. What we're talking about is some serious mileage on the bike, serious mileage on your feet for triathletes, some serious mileage uh, or meterage or whatever in the water. So, it, it, it you know, it, it is an interesting thing. And of course, m you know, there's this idea that more is better, um, which of course isn't necessarily the case you 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 hear words and i mentioned this in the last podcast of particularly in that area as you get junk mileage you know people pounding the streets and going off for long rides when actually they probably should be doing something else which we'll get into like strength training or actually not training actually recovery actually not doing anything yep. sometimes can be better um but like you say the the biggest shock or surprise can be you can literally train three four hours a day five six days a week and and not have a decent body you can be flabby like you say you can be soft not have much muscle mass so clearly i mean the types of training makes a difference but nutrition also has to be a huge part of that and um that's where i kind of want to go with this is just to quickly differentiate into those two main areas there's training um, and then there's nutrition and because this is a nutrition focused podcast we'd like to talk more about nutrition but let's just quickly talk about the training quickly because we can't say it sure. and not talk about it so um, I mean where you know where 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 are we with the training on this you know obviously we've got words like concurrent training and is that a good thing or a bad thing and you know okay. where so, do we stand yeah, on this? I, I think that's a great place to start you know one of the things that I like to emphasize, and you probably heard it in, in my talk that, that you're, this whole uh, podcast is referencing, but obviously if we think about force and distance, that's going to be your equation for work, right? Force times distance. 
And for endurance athletes, you have to cover uh, quite a bit of distance at a given force, and you want to do that as fast as you can. And if you do the, the equation on that, that's basically your work divided by how much time it takes you to complete that work, well, that's power. And so I think our traditional view of strength training and strength athletes uh, as, as the only type of power athletes is a little bit misguided in that I believe that endurance athletes, um, there is some power that we need to think about. How do we increase power? How do we maximize our power and velocity at lactate threshold, for example, and that's where the resistance training comes into play. You know, most people are afraid because they're, oh, I'm gonna endurance athletes. That is, they're gonna be, I'm afraid to put muscle mass on. I don't want to lift too much, and ultimately they end up doing what they think is beneficial, which is lightweight, many many reps, particularly in the off season. There is a way to periodize this, which we don't need to get into all that at the moment, but. You know, I think people are doing, in general, endurance athletes, when they do lift, it's, it's too light, it's too many reps, you end up getting into this hypertrophy range of lifting. You know, a lot of folks that I talk to, they're saying they're lifting between 10 and 15, 20 repetitions at a pretty light weight. And that's even, like I said, in the off season. So without knowing it, they're really in this hypertrophy area. Uh, and it's it's just a, it's a shame because they, they are unaware of the research that actually exists. Now, to address the, the bit about you know, maybe some concurrent training just quickly, if you are an endurance athlete, adding resistance training is virtually universal in terms of adding a benefit to your performance and, and likely your body composition as well. However, if you're a resistance training athlete, adding endurance training sometimes can be a negative aspect. And that's probably what you'll have future guests on to talk about. Yeah, sure. But most times people view concurrent training from a resistance training perspective, where if you add endurance, you might have some issues with muscle mass and all that. But from the endurance side, adding resistance training is pretty beneficial. And John Hawley, uh, you know, world renowned yeah. scientist, published in 2009, a very good paper. Um, I believe it was something, I don't forget the title, but it was um, something about molecular responses with endurance and strength training. Um, it's a great paper. I believe that was Applied Physiology, Nutrition, and Metabolism was the journal. And, and he just outlined the mechanisms behind the different types of, of training and what that's going to do for hypertrophy if you do both of these. And that's what endurance athletes are worried about hypertrophy, getting too big to actually run or swim or bike quickly. Um, but it turns out, long story short, that the resistance training signal uh, that most people will talk about for increasing protein synthesis is going to be your mTOR signal. I'm sure you've spoken about that at length. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the endurance side, you've got other things in play, and it's thought that the um, AMP kinase uh, response is actually going to blunt or stop that mTOR activation. So what that means is that you can actually have an increase in strength without the increase in hypertrophy. So you won't actually gain any weight during this. And that's important for endurance athletes in that you can improve a number of things uh, in terms of all types of areas, including prevention of injury by resistance training but not necessarily have to deal with weight gain that is possible from um, resistance training at a, uh, at a high level. Mm -hmm. And so 
after looking at all this data, it's like, all right, well, I get it. You can, if you're an endurance athlete, we should add some strength training, but the question becomes what kind and how much to do. And so many studies have been published on this over, um, I guess, especially over the last 10 years. But even within the last two years, there's probably been five or six papers exactly on this topic. And it's uh, with almost everything showing that uh, maximal strength training using a high percentage of your one repetition maximum improves things like running economy, um, also improves things like your type 2 your uh, type 2A fiber content, um, improves your maximal voluntary contraction, your wattage, um, and even, even economy of movement. I mean, all of these things are improving by adding strength training to an endurance athlete's repertoire. And it's really important. And I think if I were to sum it up and um, you know, look at it from, from a perspective of all of the studies that I've seen in this area so far, uh, there's a couple of recommendations that, that I would um, go with on that front. Uh, yeah. There's a few main reasons. The, you need about 8 to 16 weeks of time of resistance training to see these positive benefits. In the research that's less than 8 weeks, rarely do you see any big performance changes. So it needs to be part of your lifestyle as well as your endurance training. Mm -hmm. So quite a bit of time. The frequency of of exercise and the research is typically two and sometimes three days a week but you can do it with two days a week but the repetitions are far lower than most endurance athletes think and it's typically between five and eight repetitions um, of these of these lifts and typically they're low body or multi-joint type lifts um, greater than 85 percent 1RM and that's a big change mentally for endurance athletes to think oh when I go I need to actually lift heavy and and get you know get in there and start doing some real functional movement types types of exercises maybe um, a lot of the research would do like step ups or lunges or deadlifts and squats and those types of things are really important to include so again that's eight to, eight to sixteen weeks of training uh, is needed you're going to probably do this two days a week maybe three and you're looking at um, keeping your, your weight high, greater than 85% of 1RM shows the, the most benefits. Um, in fact, if you're less than 80% of 1RM, there's really no enhancement in long-term endurance performance, which has been shown by at least four or five different studies have looked at that exact uh, question. Yeah, um, actually I was just thinking, the uh, I happen to have that paper by John Hawley that you referred to which is the molecular responses to strength and endurance training are they incompatible which is in um, APNM 2009 I think okay uh, I was close yeah yeah down close good good memory there so <laughs> you know I mean I've mentioned this many times throughout this this podcast is is that that often we look at things sort of too black and white um, it's either one or the other, you know, and, and I think at the sort of grassroots level, we're thinking, well, strength training is all about building up muscle and cardio is, you know, it's all about, you know, building up um, cardiovascular fitness. But oftentimes what people aren't doing is, is when they go out and train, they're not thinking about what am I trying to achieve here? What is the actual purpose yeah. of this session? And with 
with previous guests, we've gotten into all kinds of things. Like, for example, and I'm I, I'm cheating here because I'm looking at John Hoy's schematic here that you referenced. And of course, yes, with resistance training, you know, ultimately we're looking at increasing muscle hypertrophy or improving muscle protein synthesis or or preventing loss of muscle, that sort of thing. Um, but with endurance training, that there are a million and one other things, of course, where ultimately we want to achieve um, improved molecular and enzymatic, you know, adaptations to training, improved mitochondrial biogenesis being a particularly significant benefit from that. But talking about nutrition and the way that it can influence that, you know, if you train fasted, um, that might improve mitochondrial biogenesis. But if you train fed, maybe you can get faster or stronger. Um, and there are different implications for that. So obviously the timing of what you eat and when you eat can also have an impact on that. But just simply putting the mileage in, you know, sometimes we forget that it's not necessarily about just getting fitter. Sometimes you need to cycle for hours every day because cycling isn't a normal activity for the human body you need to develop movement patterns and you need to get used to moving in a certain way you need to get used to being on a small seat <laughs> for huge amounts of distances i mean all these things can can influence the ultimate outcome which is which is the performance which goes beyond just force development you know um but 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 as i because i'm rambling on here the 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 point being though is is not everyone thinks about why they're training and what the outcome of that training event is and um, yeah and i think that's a real important point lauren because mm -hmm. ultimately in this exact scenario that we're talking about we're talking about endurance athletes and so these endurance athletes also need to be smart right i always say you're an endurance athlete so you still need to prioritize endurance and I think that sort of gets lost in this message sometimes is, is yeah, you're an endurance athlete, your endurance activities, say you're a triathlete, you, you need to focus on those activities. But what I'm talking about is being smart about adding resistance training to your entire protocol. And, and so many times I'll say this to groups and they'll say, well, I can't lift heavy. I'm too sore to train the next day. You know, I, I can't maintain that and also do a really good uh, endurance session or interval train training or you know threshold time trial type scenarios the next day and and so I think that's a real consideration and that it, the point is I think we need to optimize and uh, periodize the training that we're doing in the gym so that we can still do our primary activities as an endurance athlete and that's that's really the the, the point so what might you do what are some things that people should do um, now, none of this is in the literature, but when I was training for this, I always tried to do resistance training the day before I had a structured day off or a recovery type day. Mm -hmm. And so simply putting that in the right part of your training week allows you to recover properly. And, and I think if, you, if you're doing things where you legitimately are too sore to participate in your primary activities, then you need to you know, you need to adjust slightly. There's um, so many things in this industry where it's not cut and dry and you need to individualize how you're working with weights as well as how you work with nutrition. Yeah. I think that periodization, I mean, it's already popular in the strength and conditioning field, but it's maybe not so well understood in certain other areas. And this business of 
of nutrient timing, of course, is, is a popular one and hotly debated and often misunderstood, actually. Um, but, but this idea of training timing um, is another one, you know, and, and, and nutrient timing and training timing um, and, and timing of nutrients around training and timing of training around nutrition <laughs> could get all messy on that one. But, the, you know, these, these, it's, it is pretty complex, but at the end of the day... Um, I think the evidence is there that, that it's not one or the other. You need to do both. But like you say, you, you've got to think about what it is you're trying to achieve here. And, and if it is ultimately endurance, then that's probably the bigger focus. But let can you just sell us the benefits of strength training to endurance athletes? Because like we've already mentioned, I mean, it, it is something that's often avoided like the plague. I mean, if you go into a gym, you, you, you tend to see people just lifting who look like they lift one way or the other. Um, yeah. A proper gym, that is. Um, but you don't usually see people who look like they run and do a bit of, you know, that, that are lifting to support their running. I mean, why, you know, why is that and why, why should they do it? All right. Yeah, you know, I think you you lay that up nicely for me. So, um, in that lecture that we're referring to, I have this nice summary slide, and I'll I'll try to recall that as best as I can here. But let's talk about the potential positive effects, and then the potential negative effects, and then does the research in this area, which there's plenty, support those findings? Okay. So, on a positive side or a performance effect. Um, the thought would be that perhaps you could increase exercise economy. Well, yes, that's been shown in the data. Um, increasing anaerobic uh, capacity. Yep, that's been shown in the data. Increasing lactate threshold. This is by including resistance training. That's been shown in the data. Um, decreasing or delaying fatigue during exercise. That's been shown by resistance training. Increasing your maximal strength, your 1RM. Increasing your rate of force development increasing your maximal speed and ultimately increasing your performance. Every single one of those has been supported when endurance athletes add heavy strength training. Pretty good. Now, will it improve VO2 max? No, that's the one that has not been shown to improve with, uh, in, with resistance training. But all of those other things, economy, lactate threshold, uh, and ultimately performance, have been shown time and time again to improve. Now, on the negative side, people are always afraid of increasing body mass, but you know, Holly's paper and some others uh, look at the molecular mechanisms, but when you look at the applied research, there's no support that when you train like I just mentioned, which was heavy, uh, heavy weights and lower repetitions, then no change in body mass, especially when you're doing so much endurance exercise on top of it. Um, has, is there a, a decrement in VO2 max? People often worry about that. No, that's not been shown either. Um, oftentimes you worry about the decrease in capillarization perhaps or maybe even a decrease in oxidative enzyme activity, but none of those have been shown in the research. And there's a really good review on this topic for anybody who's interested. That was in the um, Scandinavian Journal of uh, Medicine and Science and Sports yeah. in t 2013 by... Uh, uh, Ronstad, I think it's R O N N E S T A D. Ronstad yep. at all. Anyway, that's where that review is, and you can find a lot of those there. But so many benefits to incorporating resistance training, and I think I just laid it out for you there. 
Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, it's still, you know, I know endurance athletes still take a bit of um, convincing that they need to do strength training, but I think when you start to point out the reasons and rationale, uh, uh, you know, it, it seems pretty obvious. But I think the overwhelming one, particularly by female athletes, and, and I think you mm. know what's coming, is their, their first thought that's going to come to mind is, I'm just going to get big and bulky. And that isn't that doesn't have to be the case, does it? It, it? it it when we talk about strength training, we're not talking about getting huge. As one of the largest myths in the world of strength and conditioning is that just by lifting weights you're going to get huge. I mean the images that they're seeing and you know the covers of some of these magazines um, that people might be like afraid of, particularly women might be afraid of looking like, you know, typically that's pharmaceutically enhanced mm. or somebody who's just a huge genetic responder that um, is very unlikely for most people. And, you know, there's a million cases where resistance training will, will improve so many aspects of not only performance but physique. I mean, just look at a lot of the physique competitors um, that that are natural, there's some fantastic benefits and um, skipping out on that is a, it's just a detriment overall, I think, to, to performance, to overall health and body composition. Yeah, and there are other side effects here too, aren't they, where strength training, of course, improves bone density and improves um, ligament health and strength and, and, uh, and so sure. on. But, and we haven't even talked about injury rates. I oh, mean, yeah. That's the big one, though, isn't it? I mean, that is, if there's yeah. one reason to strength train, it's, if, if nothing else, is the impact it can have on injuries. That's exactly right. I mean, what, one thing I, I usually mention and, and is if you get injured and go to a you know, physical therapist, a physiotherapist, what's, what are they going to recommend to you nine times out of ten to recover from some type of injury? Yeah. Resistance training yeah. of some sort strengthening some area that happens to be weak and very very few times will they recommend going and doing more endurance exercise to fix the problem um, and, and I think that's important to understand it's just from a from a perspective of keeping muscles strong stabilizing joints I mean you've got some real advantages from from keeping up with your your weight training so listen we could go on I suspect for quite some time about the benefits of strength training and um, you know uh, there's some areas there actually that you mentioned that I'm going to be doing a podcast on um, with another guest at some time which is the you know this business of we, we constantly talk about VO2 max all the time but of course having a high VO2 max does not mean we use all of our VO2 max uh, there are factors that limit our capacity to use oxygen and and uh, and so on and um, lactate uh, or lactic acid threshold or whatever we want to refer to that can be a huge or is a huge limiting factor and and therein lies a reason why you do want to do strength training but also segueing wonderfully into the nutrition topic is um, again people talk about you know low carb or no carb but when people do talk about low carb or no carb and getting fat adapted and I'm very into a lot of that stuff however uh, carbohydrates are necessary for um, lactic acid um, and if you don't eat carbohydrates or don't utilize carbohydrates there's going to be some issues with 
um, the lactate system and if you don't build up lactate your body isn't going to uh, you know adapt mechanisms to deal with lactate which is another chat of course um, yeah. but therein lies um, another training adaptation that is potentially the benefit of strength training of course so um, so right nutrition so obviously we're we're, you know, we, we, we've gone into all kinds of training benefits and adaptations and, and, and so on. But nutrition obviously is going to be a huge factor here, not just for body composition generally, but for performance and so on. But what we're focusing on here is is how do you participate in endurance events, but but maintain muscle? And, and you know, what are, I mean, what do you see as the main factors nutritionally for this? Yeah, I think that you really come to two questions, and the first one would be, do I eat just to get skinny for endurance, or do you eat to support muscle mass and body composition? Um, and those are the that's sort of the, the balance. Which which way does the does the does the table turn in terms of answering that question? Do you just eat less and then try to get skinny, or do you try to eat purposefully? to increase performance and maintain muscle. And I, you know, I chose to try to set some uh, parameters for eating to support muscle mass, but also to lose weight. And that's, that's sometimes an issue, but I think we, we nailed it pretty well. I actually have a, uh, a video on this that uh, I share with a lot of my students, and I'm happy to send it for your, for your listeners, yes, Lauren, please, but it's yeah. a nice... Uh, video about eating and training for the 70.3 race where I laid it all out exactly the strategies to to lose that about roughly 20 pounds but only about uh, 2% muscle mass so it was really an interesting um, uh, change for me but anyway I, I would say there's a number of things to consider number one for me was calories I needed to uh, support the demands of my training and that's the first thing that I paid attention to is what am I doing in terms of caloric expenditure and how, how much do I need to eat for a total day? So I, luckily I have access to all this stuff, right? So I can hop in the lab and, and get my resting metabolism and actually put the mask on and train for a while and see how many calories I'm using for that amount of activity. Um, most people don't have those things, but it was really a nice way for me to do it. So it was calories first and I wanted to consider my recovery you know, making sure that I ate enough to recover properly, and then I wanted to consider my body composition goals. All right, and so for me, all of this was based off of my energy expenditure, exercise intensity, and I ultimately just ended up uh, subtracting roughly 500 to 1,000 calories um, from what I was doing. But you know, it was it was done very easily. I simply was training more, and so my my nutrition stayed pretty consistent. And uh, the deficit is, that was created was fairly simple to achieve. I didn't really change all that much. When you're training as much as you train for these long endurance events, though, you sometimes miss opportunities to feed. When you normally would, you might be doing a double session when you're out running or swimming for hours. And it's like, well, well, you just don't have a chance to eat as much as you normally would mm. at a, at a sit-down type meal. So calories were key. Um, and, and that was... That was what I was focused on primarily. But protein became um, the probably the number one thing that I was paying attention to. In fact, I was paying attention to that. 
Yeah, so um, there's research, obviously, there's uh, recommendations from the ISSN and uh, American College of Sports Medicine and the Canadian, um, the Canadian group too. I think it's the Dietitians of Canada. All these folks have recommendations for how much protein to eat. And I just made sure to stay at the very high end yeah. of those needs. I knew I'd be losing muscle if I didn't do it. And I made sure to stay at the high end of uh, recommendations for endurance um, athletes. And so, and even strength athletes. I mean, I was way up there. I was, you know, roughly 2.2 grams per kg. And, and that was fine. I mean, obviously, you probably have had these discussions. That's not going to blow out your kidneys if you're healthy. It was perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, we've had, I've had Steve Phillips, Kevin Tipton, uh, Jerry Antonio, of course, on his controversial over-protein uh, overfeeding study. Yeah. yeah, it's been that one's been put to bed. It's not going to kill you. Yeah, so that was great. You know, so I was calories, protein was high. I'd just look at my meals and make sure that I had a good protein source at each meal. I mean, that time and time again has been shown to have a, an increase, uh, favorable impact on fat-free mass and strength. In fact, we were actually doing a study in obese people when I was starting to train for this, and and these people are massively obese. And what we're looking at is. In America, one of the things that uh, these types of people are put on is extremely low calorie diet. But when you look at the data, it's insane. I mean, they lose a ton of weight, but their muscle mass plummets when they do that. Yeah. And um, we simply intervened with this group, added a resistance training section and a, and a high protein intake, and they still lost a lot of weight. They still lost a lot of muscle, but it was far less than the group who didn't resistance train and have a high protein intake. And so I was going along that model and was sticking at the high end. I was losing weight, but trying to maintain uh, muscle mass with the high protein. Um, for carbohydrates, um, from a body comp perspective, this is also what you were mentioning with the timing aspect. Yeah. You know, I think um, there are many people and other experts who might agree that after exercise, you may be the most primed and, and able to handle your carbohydrate meals at that point. And so I simply would make sure that on my training days after a heavy training day, that's when I would consume the majority of the carbohydrates that I would have for that entire day. Mm. And it was a very simple strategy. I don't uh, avoid carbohydrates, but I just had the majority of them at that post-workout period. And uh, for me, that worked very, very well uh, in, in what I was doing for muscle recovery, um, body composition didn't seem to be negatively affected with that at all, and there's you know there's quite a bit of uh, um, uh, anecdotal evidence in that area. And I really would like to see some well-programmed studies in that area that look at carbohydrate timing yeah. and if it is most appropriate post-exercise. And I think that would be a great study to actually lay out. Yeah, no, me, um, me too. Just to just to quickly jump in because you made me think of something. And um, I mean, I was talking to. Dr. James Morton, who's um, Liverpool John Moores University, literally doing studies on this sort of thing and biopsies and all kinds of stuff. And he, you know, the the um, and this is, that's got nothing to do with what I'm just about to say, but um, we've certainly had podcasts on this on these topics. But the um, the issue though is is sometimes when we talk about carbohydrates, um, we tend to be referring to carbohydrate-rich foods. Um, because we could be talking about uh, low-carbohydrate vegetables or fruits, which um, we don't call carbohydrates, but still will contribute towards the 
uh, maintenance um, and day-to-day needs for carbohydrates. So, so sometimes, and, and I've had another podcast where we've talked about language and you know, sort of the filter of information and how it's stated and said. And sometimes when we, when, you know, when we are talking about, well, I'm only going to eat carbs after training, um, that doesn't mean that we're not eating carbs at other times of the day. We're just not eating carb-rich foods. And, of course, then, you know, the argument comes in. Um, the good side of the argument is, well, just eating fruits and veg will top up your carbohydrate needs anyway it's it's it, you know you don't need more than that um unless you're training and then of course as you say maybe it's best to eat the carbohydrate rich foods post training um but uh, anyway i just i just wanted to mention that because sometimes the listeners will will start to think ah okay i'm only going to eat carbs after training or and then other people right. oh but we need carbs at other times of the day and i just think yeah what do we even mean by a carb <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know. yeah, I think you're right, you know, and it's going to be fascinating. I mean, the, this field is so great. I mean, it is a is it an evolving science? There's new things all the time. I think your your hint earlier at the the fat the fat adaptation, how that's going to work for exercise, particularly endurance exercise, may uh, change the scope of recommendations over the next five or ten years. But at the moment, I think the the most uh, logical conclusions are still, at least from a performance perspective, that um, carbohydrates are going to be something that, um, it, especially if you're an athlete and you're trying to perform at a high intensity, then the carbohydrates, at least for the moment, are, are where we, we can still say there is evidence that you have some benefits from that well, in if terms you wanna, of performance. Yeah, I think, if you, I, think, I, think what's unco- I think where people get bogged down in that debate, and that's certainly not what I want to get into on this because we're so so running out of time here. It's not that I mean you know there are people who can compete triathlons with no carbs as you know the thing is is whether or not you're going to win it is probably the main question is is you, you know if you want to actually win the triathlon and by that I mean a proper yeah. decent yeah. quality of competitors you, you you're going to need carbs <laughs> um, but anyway that you know, I, I digress there said, but yeah it is a it is a whole other debate but yeah. you know I think our our conversation with this. Uh, particular topic for maintaining muscle mass. It's, it's. Uh, I would always look at the calories first. I would keep the yeah. protein high. Um, I would certainly include carbohydrate. Although I think we're an over-carbed nation, at least the U.S. is. Um, and I, I just time to time tried to time those, like you say, the starchy, um, carbohydrate-rich foods post post exercise um, during long endurance training. I did consume food. And uh, most of the data supports having a protein-carbohydrate uh, mixture while you're training for long, long periods of time, uh, which is something that I did. I made sure to have adequate fat, you know, the, to support any type of anabolic environment. There's you, you can't eliminate it, and so I would be sure to have pretty much a good mixture of my saturated fats, my uh, um, mono and polyunsaturated fats including you know making sure to keep my omega-6 and omega-3 ratio uh pretty close you know as pretty close to a one-to-one or or two-to-one as opposed to it gets a little out of control in a western diet um so i kept fat at a a good level a lot of that stuff helped to satiate me with the high protein and a solid amount of fat incoming and then carbohydrates needed to perform my best Um, so i think from a whole food perspective that's where i was and that's that's exactly what worked. It timed out really well to lose uh, weight and maintain muscle mass 
um, at, a, at a real nice level that I was happy with. Um, and I also use some supplements. I'm not sure if you want to talk about those, but yeah, just uh, briefly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we before we move on to supplements, I mean, if we can just quickly summarize then. So, I mean, really, we're not just talking um, eating enough to train. We're talking about eating enough to train and maintain um, recovery, maintain muscle mass, uh, which means that probably that means higher calories than a lot of folks do consume in in gyms. Yeah. Um, and um, certainly high protein, uh, higher fat than they're probably used to, and and enough carbohydrates, um, mm. ample carbohydrates to support their training, which in itself is a, obviously a highly debatable topic as we've been getting yeah. into. Um, so so yeah, so I mean, so supplements. Let's just quickly. Uh, we're we we don't have much time left, um, which just shows you how great this topic is. But but su- <laughs> but supplements. Then um, I mean, we you know food first always. Um, but supplements um, are certainly to be considered, particularly with people with massive training volumes and uh, and so on. So I mean, what would your go to be for ones that really really are likely to be useful in this scenario yeah the ones that i relied upon um for this and the ones that have evidence in the literature too i I use i use creatine the entire time um and that was uh, to in an attempt to maintain muscle mass and again if you're doing as much training as we're talking about endurance wise uh adding muscle mass is quite difficult but maintaining is was the goal that i had for that process and uh, creatine was something I used the whole time. I also used beta alanine based off of some evidence that um, exists in the research now to maintain sprint power and lean body mass. You know, those are my go-to um, supplements. Now, again, protein was something as a convenience sake. Clearly, you can do it with whole foods, but uh, convenience is something we all like. So I definitely used some, um, you know, the old shaker and protein bottle occasionally. Uh, throughout all of that time and those are the ones I maintain and of course I talked about the omega-3s so I um, generally would also have a fish oil supplement an attempt to perhaps control uh, an outweighing of omega-6 to omega-3 or the excessive inflammation that comes from just a lot of training Um, so so those are them it was creatine beta alanine fish oil and uh, protein supplement were the staples to everything I was doing um, and I think one thing that we might just want to note and perhaps have a secondary discussion on is the part about taking these things before you go to sleep at night yeah. or whole foods before you go to sleep at night. And that's a major focus of my laboratory right now. In fact, um, uh, many of my graduate students are working on projects now on that particular topic. And uh, Luke Van Loon and myself are giving a tutorial at ACSM this summer in San Diego on that exact topic of oh, nighttime feeding for uh, muscle performance awesome. and, and nice. recovery. Yeah, so that topic is great, and I made sure to take advantage of that time based off of Luke's data showing protein synthesis can occur while you're sleeping, so making sure to fuel for, for that inactive period, the eight hours of sleep, and then also um, some nice improvements in metabolism and uh, just a teaser to be determined if performance will actually change or not is still being uh, researched now. Yeah, I mean, again, that's uh, on the sort of topic of nutrient timing. You know, the, the the what you do before you go to bed is in itself a, a wonderful opportunity to aid in recovery and 
particularly for those that are trying to maintain uh, muscle mass. And I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think um, another podcast should be dedicated to supplementation strategies and, and timing strategies for endurance athletes. And so maybe we'll certainly have to get into that. Yep, that sounds that sounds great. You know, it's been a pleasure talking about this stuff. I really, uh, it's just fun to talk about science, and um, awesome. you know, like I said, it's just a great field. Everybody um, is looking in this field to improve performance, body composition, or health. And no matter what field you're in, those things are important to ninety nine percent of the population. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna end this podcast in a second with a couple of take-home messages that you provided at the end of your uh, lecture. And um, forgive me for uh, taking the stage and using your words, but um, I think this would be a good summary. So, in, at the end of that lecture that you gave, you, you, your main points were: do not be afraid to lift and lift heavy, um, which is is key, isn't it, to to one of the messages yep. here? Um, Definitely. Resistance training will enhance endurance performance and prevent injury, and we've discussed that in uh, in its various ways. And um, the nutritional considerations that we should be bearing in mind is to increase protein intake, drink carbohydrate and protein potentially during exercise. Um, therein lies the need for the next podcast, of course. Uh, eat before sleep and... Um, uh, consider taking creatine and beta alanine. Of course, creatine is a supplement that a lot of endurance athletes wouldn't go near for fear of getting yep. huge. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to get into that. I've actually had uh, Craig Sale talking about creatine. Um, um, and especially if you race in a hot environment. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, look, look I mean, I'm going to hold you to it. Let's get you on another podcast because that is a sub. That is a topic in itself that is well worth getting into. It's all too often, as we've mentioned, that endurance athletes, you know, they don't lift um, and they don't eat enough protein and they don't do all these sorts of things and they certainly don't take creatine. So that might be a bit of a mind-blowing uh, topic for some folks and um, I'd love to get into that maybe at some point early next year. Um, okay. And you also said careful of rewarding yourself after low-intensity uh, workouts. Um, if you yes. want to just quickly clarify what you meant by that. Yeah, you know, that's the whole uh, this soft belly endurance athlete type of thing is um, if you do con a ton of these low intensity workouts, which is useful at some times of training, but clearly not the best thing for body competition that I've seen. Uh, many people finish a workout and, and pre pretend like they did more work than they actually did. I often say, did you really ride your bike for two hours or did you, you know, did you blow your tires up for 15 yeah. minutes and did you wait for your friends for another 15 minutes and stop at traffic lights for another 15 minutes? You really only rode your bike for an hour yeah. and uh, people reward themselves afterwards with, you know, big dinners or big reward meals and clearly that can offset body composition and, and uh, create some environmental things where soft belly becomes a real issue. Sure, sure. And then your final point, which kind of drives it home for me is power wins races and that is you know you think of all the time and effort people put into training you want to win face it people people say oh it's the taking part no you want to do well <laughs> there's nothing worse than coming yep. last I, I don't know anyone who can honestly stare me in the face and say they're happy coming last <laughs> um, so power wins races and that's why you want 
to get strong and you want to have a bit of muscle. We're not talking about giant bodybuilders doing triathlons, but I have seen it. I have seen some really big guys doing triathlons. And we're not yeah. just talking sprint triathlons. We're talking, you know, you look at some of the competitors that do 70.3 triathlons. Some of these guys are big. Yeah. Um, they're pretty big. So listen, um, we've, um, we're approaching an hour on this one. So it's, um, it's been great, Mike, to have you on this podcast. I appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge. And this topic is a really exciting one. And um, like I say, I'm going to hold you to a part two so we can get into some of these other things that we didn't quite get into. Um, so um, if you want to find out more about um, Dr. Mike, Michael Ormsby and what he's up to, what, what, uh, how can they find out more about you? Do, you? do you have a website, don't you? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways for our research facilities um, and and uh, everything we're doing in the lab here. That's called the Institute of Sports Sciences and Medicine. And the the easiest way is to go to uh, Florida State's website, which is fsu.edu, and simply search for ISSM, which is Institute of Sports Sciences and Medicine. So that's the uh, that's the lab setup. I have a personal website, which is just mikeormsby.com. And, um, of course, there's all the social media outlets like Twitter, which is just at Mike Ormsby. And I'm happy to uh, discuss and follow up with, uh, with your listeners. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them now. Um, so you may regret that. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's been awesome. So uh, th- thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you, um, no doubt, at one of the next ISSN conferences. And, and, uh, and if folks want to um, learn more, um, about the sort of thing of course um, I've mentioned many a time you can um, obviously come back to guruperformance.com and uh, listen to other uh, many podcasts on similar topics to this in performance nutrition type stuff um, but you can also uh, learn more from people like uh, Michael Ormsby on the ISSN diploma we have a, a lecture video of this lecture actually that, um, from the uh, ISSN conference. We, we filmed it for the ISSN diploma, so that was awesome. Um, and you can learn more about the ISSN postgraduate program at issndiploma.com. Um, but I, of course, am Laurel Bannock from Guru Performance, and I look forward to bringing another podcast back to you all very soon.